Good afternoon, everyone. My name's Karina. We're reading from the Bible today. It's Psalm 34. So please have your Bibles open. If you've got one from up the back, it's page 488. Psalm 34. Concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Good afternoon, Church at Four. Wonderful to be here with you. My name is Greg. I'm one of the ministers here at OEC, and it's my great pleasure and privilege to be opening God's Word with you. Please keep that Bible passage open. In your handouts on the inside, there's an outline of the talk. That's a great place to take notes, uh, and uh, you can see where we're going from there. Uh, well, I'm going to start things a little bit differently this afternoon. I'm going to start today's talk with a bit of heresy. A bit of heresy from a preacher called Joel Osteen as he speaks on Psalm 34. Have a listen to what he says. Psalm 34, verse 10, this is what Joel Osteen said, says this, Those whose trust in the Lord will never lack any good thing. Deep down, you have to know that you know because you trust in the Lord, you are a no-lack person. Almighty God breathed his life into you. He has already equipped and empowered you. You may have difficulties, but it's not a surprise to God. That dream is not too big. You have the talent 
the strength, the determination, the focus. You are well able to fulfil your destiny. It's a classic piece of what would be called the prosperity gospel, a false gospel that says that what God promises you is abundance and riches and health and wealth and victory in all of life. Jesus died not so much to save you from your sins, but to give you that life that you long for. It's a terrible twisting of the truth that distorts the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection to pay the penalty for sins. It relegates this true gospel to be almost irrelevant. Instead, we are brought into the centre of the gospel. My life, my longings, my unbounded success, my strength, my health, not Jesus. But have a look at Psalm 34. Have a look at verse 6 and what it actually says. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Then verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You, are, you who are his holy ones, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Now, Joel Osteen would say, do you believe God's word? Did you, did you hear God's promises? He promises you every good thing. So if you want every good thing, do what he says and it will be yours. Maybe you're just not trusting this God and his word enough. Now, now I hope you cringe at the sort of things that guys like Joel Osteen says. It's a, it's a terrible false teaching. But, but we've got to wrestle with it, don't we? Doesn't this psalm promise just what Joel is saying? This is God's word. Could he be right? Now, spoiler alert, uh, Joel Osteen has got this psalm and his gospel completely wrong. That's where we're heading. I'm, I hope you're comforted by that. And we'll see that as we work through this psalm together and look at the detail. As we sit under God's word in this psalm, understand it in its context and wrestle with what it says, my hope, my prayer is that we would learn to read God's wonderful word better the Old Testament in particular, better. We'll see that there's a much richer gospel in these Psalms than the shallow promises of Joel Osteen. So let's pray as we sit under this part of God's word together. Won't you join me? Father God, we thank you for this, your word, in Psalm 34. And we pray that you would help us to understand it, what it's saying, and what it means to trust your word and live as people who fear you. Amen. Now, before we look at the story behind the song, I have a reminder for those of us who were here two weeks ago uh, as Nathan took us through Psalm 100. And for those of you who weren't here, it's an important reminder of, the, of how we read the Old Testament and the Psalms. So we often read the Psalms as if they're written directly to us. We put ourselves in the centre of the Psalms. We feel the emotion of the Psalms as they speak of God's word and his works and his promises. And a number of the Psalms can be helpfully read like that, but it's a dangerous way to read the Old Testament. Because what this approach to reading the Psalms does is it jumps right over the person of Jesus Christ. And it ignores the truth that these Psalms were written to point to him and his work. 
looking forward to his coming. And this approach to the Psalms also forgets that they're songs that were written initially for God's people in God's land, singing, waiting for Jesus to come, the fulfilment of God's promises. And so the first step to understanding these Psalms is to work out what would it have meant to them as they were reading it, to ancient Israel. Then we need to work out how it points to Jesus and then we can work out what it means for us and how we ought to trust this psalm and read it, understand it and apply it. Understanding it as children who are followers of God's promised King Jesus. So let's now jump into this psalm. Let's jump into the sandals of one of those Old Testament people waiting for the fulfilment of God's purposes and promises. Uh, the psalm starts at verse 0. Did you notice that as Karina read it? Well, it's not really verse 0. It's the introduction to the psalm. Uh, that's in italics before verse 1. And those words aren't put there by the publishers. They're actually part of the original text. So let's have a look at it. Concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out and he departed. It's a very interesting backstory, isn't it? And if you want more detail, you can go into 2 Samuel 21. Oh, sorry, 1 Samuel 21 and check it out. We haven't got time to do that, so let me just give you the short story so you get in, if you want to put it like that. At the time of 1 Samuel 21, Saul was king in Israel, not David. And Saul wanted to kill David because David was a threat to the throne, a threat to his rule. David was afraid for his life and he ran for his life. He fled to the land of his enemies, the enemies of God's people, to the Philistines, in fact, to Gath. Gath is the hometown of Goliath, okay? Not so long ago, David had killed Goliath, their great hero. David was clearly desperate, wasn't he? The leaders of Gath feared David and spoke to the king against him, and David was in deep trouble, in desperate stakes. He pretended to be insane a madman. Uh, to, quote, to quote 1 Samuel 21, he acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. <laughs> it's a bit strange, isn't it? And to be fair, you could say you were mad going to Gath, David. He was fairly mad. He pretended not to be a threat and they bought it. It was a risky ploy, but the king bought it and sent David away and David fled, uh, fled to a nearby cave and stayed safe. In the psalm, as we understand that context, in the psalm, we're brought into David's experience, into David's head, into his heart, his fears, his faith through that time. Have a look at verse 4 of Psalm 34. I sought Yahweh and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. David's fearful. He's terrified. He doesn't know what to do. David, this great warrior, God's anointed king, was afraid and in the hands of his enemies. So what did he do? We know he pretended to be mad in a desperate ploy, but what did he do first? He prayed. He spoke to his God. He sought the God he knows from the scriptures, the God he knows personally as Yahweh. And we see this prayer again in verse 6, where David says, This poor man cried, and Yahweh heard him and saved him from all his troubles. David describes himself as poor. He didn't have the resources to get himself out of the situation he was in. He was troubled. 
and hopeless and prayed. And God saved him. That's the story behind the song. And I want you to notice just how beautifully personal it is. Verse 6, God hears David. Verse 4, God answers David. Verse 7, David describes his experience of salvation like God sending his angels to encamp around him. In in verse 7, David's describing his own salvation like God's salvation of his people Israel from the Exodus. In the Exodus, like the day when Israel came out from Egypt and was, was being chased by the Egyptian army and at the Red Sea, God sent his angel to spare them, encamped around them, protected them from the enemy, protect them while God parted the sea overnight and sent them through on dry ground. Yahweh, the great, powerful, personal saviour, worthy of all praise. This is why Psalm 34 verse 1, David will bless Yahweh at all times. No matter what happens, he's going to boast in Yahweh. Boasting, I think when we think of the word boasting, we think of something negative, don't we? It's an arrogant thing to shout your own praises, to be full of your own importance, like a a great tennis player winning the Australian Open. You can see I I had to put these slides together before today. Um, But here here David doesn't boast in himself, does he? He's not like an arrogant tennis player. He doesn't boast in his clever plan to drool into his beard and, and be sent away. No, he boasts in Yahweh, in God, his great and powerful deliverer. The God revealed in the Exodus is his God and he can't stop banging on about how awesome his God is. But David doesn't stop at blessing and boasting in Yahweh himself. He wants all those people who sing this song to join him in this praise. He wants all God's people to join him. Verse 3, proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. He wants everyone around him to know what Yahweh has done, how great his salvation is and how he has rescued him from all his fears. But then David actually goes further than just inviting people to join him. He wants everyone to praise God, not just because of what God has done for him, but because of what Yahweh has done for him. That's what he does for all who put their trust in him, for all who fear him. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. Verse 9, those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Can you see what David is doing in these verses? He's taking his own personal experience of God who has saved him and he generalizes it to all those who put their trust in him. What happened to him is what happens to every one of God's people who put their trust in him, who fear him. You can see why guys like Joel Osteen land where they do, can't you? Now, now's not the time. We're not quite yet going to debunk Joel Osteen's take on Psalm 34, but we're getting there. Let's continue to sit under God's word. Let's continue to look at the detail and see what it meant for God's people then. Psalm 34, verse 8. David invites those singing his song of praise, not just to proclaim Yahweh's greatness with him, but he invites them to taste and see 
and feel and know that Yahweh is good. As he's been good to him, so he is good to them. He's found happiness in the fear of Yahweh and he wants those singing with him to find happiness in fear of Yahweh too. Yahweh is good. A couple of weeks ago, Nathan took us through Psalm 100, uh, where verses 4 and 5, David says this, Give thanks to him and bless his name, for Yahweh is good and his faithful love endures forever. Two weeks ago, Nathan helped us to see that good in the Bible and good in the world, what does it mean that it's good? It means that things are the way they were meant to be, created to be, supposed to be, as God made it. In verse in Psalm 34, we see the goodness of God in how he can be depended on to save his people, that he's always there for them, to rescue them, to provide them with every good thing. The goodness of God brings happiness in verse 8. But what does David mean when he says happy is the person who takes refuge in him? Now, most translations will translate this word as blessed which, while we might find less strange than happy, really we still need to ask the question, what does the word actually mean? What does it look like to be blessed and happy? Well, if we go right back to Psalm 1 and 2, we see this word happy again in the very introduction to this book of songs. Psalm 1 begins with these words, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Psalm 2 ends with these words, all who take refuge in him, that is in Yahweh, are happy. What is the happiness in these verses? It's not the shallow happiness of just enjoying good things. It's the deep happiness that comes from right relationship with God. From knowing that God loves you, has saved you, and is a powerful and wonderful refuge in the face of a world that is broken. It's the happiness of finding in God the goodness we were created for, a life of right relationship with him, filled with purpose and hope and joy and life. But in Psalm 34, this happiness is found in a strange place. Have a look at verse 8 in front of you. Verse 8, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him? That's like Psalm 2. You are his holy ones, who fear Yahweh, for those who fear him lack nothing. In that verse, what we see is that happy, happiness is found in the fear of Yahweh. We live in a world that says there's happiness, says that happiness is found in the pursuit of happiness. That's where it's found. Whatever floats your boat, whatever cranks your tractor, whatever makes you happy, pursue that and you'll find happiness. That's what our world says. But just like a rainbow, if you chase happiness, you won't find it. It doesn't work like that. Not this sort of happiness in Psalm 34 and Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Not the happiness that is true and deep joy that lasts. Because if we just chased happiness in what feels good, we're living as if we are the ones who decide what is good, what is right. But the reality is that happiness that we will find will be fleeting and shallow and gone in a moment. No, true happiness is found in fear of Yahweh. How does that work? Well, ultimately, because true and deep happiness is found in relationship with our Creator, when we embrace the fact that God is God, 
that who we are is who God created us to be. When we relate with him as he is, the great, truly awesome, wonderful God who revealed himself in the Exodus, who spun the stars into motion and will judge every person, that's where true happiness, where true and lasting joy can only be found. But what does it mean to fear this God? That's a great question and David actually answers it for us in Psalm 34 in two parts. First part, verses 8 and 9. Have a look at there in front of you. To fear God is to take refuge in him. Swellen's kids' talk was really helpful as she pointed out that there's a fear of God that leads to running away, a fear of God that leads to flight, to reject him, his power, his authority, and to ignore him. But there's a fear of God that makes us run to him. A fear of God as our great saviour and rescuer. A fear that comes from a recognition that we can't save ourselves, that we're not in control, something David keenly felt when he was in Gath. A fear that led him to call on God, knowing that he's a God who has power to save. It was true of Israel, and it's true of us as well, in the face of the weight of our sin and the mess we make of life. We need a fear that runs to him, not from him. The second part is in verses 11 to 14, where actually, in those verses, David answers the question, what does it mean to fear God? Have a look at verse 11. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Yahweh. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. What does it mean to fear Yahweh? Very simply, it means you obey him. You do what he says. It means accepting the reality that he is God and we're not that he knows what is good for us better than we do because he's our creator and our judge. It's to reject the lie of the world that happiness is found outside of God's good commands. True happiness is found in fear of God. But in these verses, we still need to wrestle with the, the idea that of what the prosperity teachers say about these very verses, that those who fear God, that those who do what God says, will lack no good thing, that prosperity and wealth and happiness will be theirs. Let me just suggest three things that we need to bring to answer that question. Three things that we need to look at as we debunk what guys like Joel Osteen are saying. Firstly, God is the one who defines what is good, not us. The good that is promised here doesn't mean that the people who fear God won't come into trouble or difficulty or hardship that, need, that they need saving from, that people won't oppose them. It doesn't mean that everything they wish for is theirs. It doesn't necessarily mean that they get the prancing horse in the stable and the, and the never-ending packet of Tim Tams. That's not what this passage is saying. Secondly, uh, God is not promising them a trouble-free life where nothing goes wrong. That's clearly not the case in this psalm, is it? Where they won't go through experiences of want and lack that they need to be saved from. David was poor and troubled and needed God's help again and again. Not just that, look forward to verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, it is the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit, who are saved by God. Like David was in Gath. In verse 19, those who are righteous will have many adversities as David did 
So we need to read the detail of the psalm, don't we? To work out what it means. Not just cherry pick what we want to hear, which is what guys like Joel Osteen do. Read the passage in the context to see what the good life lacking no good thing actually looks like. Thirdly, we need to keep in mind that this psalm is written to Old Covenant Israel. Israel waiting for the fulfilment of their hopes and promises of God in God's promised king. A nation with promises of life in this land, like this one from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Prosperity always is what is, trust, what is promised to those in Old Testament Israel in the land if they do what he says. It was meant to be a life of abundance and blessing if they obeyed. You see that all the way through Deuteronomy. But here, us, we don't live in God's promised land. Australia is great, don't get me wrong. But it's not the promised land that God was promising his people. And we are not God's nation under that old covenant. So where it lands for us is going to be different from where it lands for them. So what does it mean for us to lack no good thing? Well, I want you to hold on to that question. We'll come back to it in a tick. This psalm really is about the God who saves, the God who saved David from fearful trouble. And in the face of that fearful situation, he chose to fear the God who saves and trusted him and called out to him. It's a psalm that promises that God is the God who always saves, who's always there for his people. For the first readers of this song, a people so often in need of salvation, suffering under the hands of their enemies and the rule of others, suffering as a nation under sin. And they needed to hear this. God is always a God who saves those who trust him. And we meet this God again in the closing verses of Psalm of the Psalm, verse 15. And as I read through these verses, notice how personal a saviour God is. Verse 15 the eyes of Yahweh are always on the righteous and, he, and his ears are open to their cry for help. God sees, God hears. Verse 17, the righteous cry out to Yahweh and Yahweh hears and rescues them from all their troubles. So God hears and God rescues, he acts. But there's another side to this coin of God as saviour. And that is, if you don't take refuge in this God, if you don't cry out to him, if you think happiness can be found outside of his good commands, then your experience of him will be the opposite. He will not be your saviour. He will be your judge. Verse 16, the face of Yahweh is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. In these verses, the experience of those who fear and obey, who know his salvation is one of very personal relationship with a very personal God. But for the wicked, their fate is equally personal but opposite. The face of God is against them. They are rejected. And it becomes as if they didn't exist. Or to use the words of C.S. Lewis, he says this about God's judgment, we can be utterly and absolutely outside, repelled, Exiled, estranged, finally and unspeakably ignored. That's what happens when you ignore God. 
That's what this psalm speaks to. The God who saves is the God who judges. And if true happiness is found in relationship and fear of him, his personal God, then without him, any happiness will only be fleeting. And in the end, death will take it away. But how does this psalm point us to Jesus? As we saw right at the start, the Old Testament songs are songs looking forward to this great promised king who's going to come. And so how does this psalm point us to the the fulfilment of God's salvation in Christ? Well, this is a psalm, this psalm is a psalm of um, King David, as we've seen, as, as David experiences firsthand the God who saves. He's reminded of, of how God has saved his people in the Exodus and how God has saved him and how God promises to save all those who are his. And this psalm is an invitation to join the king in praising this God. This psalm is then quoted in John's Gospel as Jesus dies to save those who trust in him, those who belong to God. John 19, verse 36. We'll read from verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. For these things happened so that the scripture will be fulfilled. And this is where he quotes Psalm 34, verse 20. Not one of his bones will be broken. You see, Jesus is the one who truly did trust his father in the face of adversities, who cried out to Yahweh and he heard him, who was rescued from all his troubles, whose bones were not broken, who truly honoured God and obeyed his Father. Jesus, God's chosen king, who was saved by God, resurrected, given victory, whose relationship with God was always one of obedience and trust and respect and love. He is who David in the end failed to be. He's the fulfilment of the great king. And just like David invited those who sung this song to join him in praising Yahweh who saves, so Jesus invites us to join him in praising God, our great Saviour. Just as David invited those who sung this song to join him in tasting and seeing that God is good, so Jesus invites us to taste and see that God is good, to join in the salvation that he has won for us. And it's only in Jesus that we are able to be the righteous who God hears, who God knows, who God answers, who God saves. It's only accepting Jesus, his death on our behalf, that God can be our saviour too. The way we take refuge in Yahweh is by taking refuge in his son, the fulfilment of Psalm 34. And it's in Jesus that we are given every good thing. It's in Jesus that we can know that God is not far from us, even though it doesn't feel like that sometimes. When David fled from the hands of Saul into the hands of his enemies in Gath, it would have been easy to feel like God was far away, that God didn't care. But he turned to God, who saved and spared him, and he wrote this song inviting others to praise this great God who saves. There may be times when, for you, God feels so far away, like he doesn't hear, like your prayers bounce off the ceiling. But because of Jesus, you can know he hears, he sees, he saves. Have a look at this passage from Ephesians as it takes us to the idea that those who fear in God, who take refuge in him, lack no good thing. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And then Paul goes on for another six verses, banging on about the blessings that are all ours in Jesus. A life of blessing, of true and deep and meaningful happiness is not found in the shallow and empty promises of a world where all that shines is not gold. It's found in lasting, eternal relationship with Yahweh through Jesus, the fulfilment of God's promised King. And while we might not have physical prosperity now, we know we have a God who has gifted us beyond imagination in relationship with him, who's promised to provide for our needs and who has saved us from our deepest troubles. And in the life to come, when we see our great God and Saviour face to face, we'll be blessed and happy and fulfilled in ways we get a glimpse of here. So don't buy the lie that true and meaningful and lasting happiness is found outside the love and trust and fear of God. Don't chase what the world chases, the adrenaline rush, the, the success, the power, the influence, the money, the fun. Enjoy those good things that God gives, yes, but know that they aren't where true happiness is found. True happiness is found in relationship with God in Jesus, in fear of him, in good and right fear of him. Where will you find true lasting happiness? Will you find it in this world? You won't. But you can find it in him, our great God and saviour. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you have come to save us, that you hear, that you listen, that you see, that you act and you save. Father, pray that you would help us to be people who fear you, who praise you, our great God and Saviour. Help us not to believe the lies of this world. Help us to enjoy the good things you give us. Help us to do what you say in response to such a great salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.